long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Disney is out to get even more of your money as the streaming wars have officially begun. We are back. It is the Talkin' TV podcast. Your friendly neighborhood movie nerds, or whatever it is, have you, that you shall call us. It is I, Dom, the one and only movie nerd. There are many movie nerds, but I am the movie nerd. And I'm back with my faithful co-host, Chris Ivanko. Chris? Hey, Chris, I have, I have a question. Do you have a nickname, like, on the interwebs, or do you mostly just go by Chris? Uh, today I go by Chris Baca. Why Chris Baca? Because I'm, I'm riding shotgun to uh, my, uh, my host oh, in the oh, oh, Millennium oh. Falcon. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm an idiot. Wow. That completely... I, that Bad joke. Way over my head. No, that's fine. I went way over my head. Um, yeah, so, Chris... Very, very bad yeah, joke. Yeah, so, so Chris, we've been we, we've been away for a, for a few weeks, you know, um, but we're back, and uh, Chris, why don't you tell them what... Because uh, I, I feel... I mean, I don't know, like, I feel like our relationship with this one property is slightly different. It's not exactly the same, but uh, t- tell them what universe... We're back in now, pro- quite a, li- a little earlier than anticipated, you know, because usually we have to wait until December, with the exception of last year, you know, with these last couple of years. But uh, what universe are we back in? We're back in the greatest cinematic universe of all time. Oh, wow. And you're even using the modern day corporate lingo language. What kind of shill have you become, Chris? We, we are back in the universe that took science fiction and changed it completely. We are back in the universe that has been letting fans down since 2015. Uh, I'd argue since 2016, 17, but I can see the but I can see the argument. I can see the argument because right. at the very least, in but, 2015, we were deluded enough to think that what we were going to get was actually good, and that Disney actually had a plan in place for these movies. But we are we are back in a universe that, like always, is built on hope. And yes. if there's one thing that the Mandalorian has done, yep, it's given me hope. Hell we yeah, are, Dom. Hell we're talking yeah. about motherfucking, motherfucking Star Mandalorian Wars. Star Wars TV show, executive produced by Dave Filoni and John Favreau, who quite possibly, after watching the first episode of this show. It is very apparent that these are the guys that should have been in charge of Lucasfilm since the beginning because with one episode, one 40-minute episode of television, they have managed to make something that I feel is more faithful to George Lucas' original vision and idea than any of the previous movies that we've gotten, and even more so than George Lucas' original prequels. Like... Yeah, these guys are going to save Star Wars. Yeah, definitely. If, if I mean, the well, show keeps well, up... Well, well, the good thing is that Filoni's already proved it multiple times with both Clone Wars and now Rebels that you know that ended uh, this past year. You know, I know he's executive producing Resistance, but that's more so for kids. But this this was like the grandstanding and showing like, yeah, this is where the future of Star Wars is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I fucking hope so. Yeah. I, I don't like to curse on, on air on podcasts, but I just can't help myself because it's going to fly out like a sailor because this is just... yeah. I'm just so like it's, it's, emotionally. It's back, to, it's back to rock and roll. That's exactly. why. And, and you, and you gotta to let it out when it's, when it's rock Star and roll. Wars. You know. Exactly. I wonder, I wonder if Scorsese will uh, will consider this uh, not cinema. I'm willing to bet he won't. But yeah, that, that's neither not. here nor there yeah. because he he's right in a lot of. Oh, what he oh, one hundred percent. Like like that's the thing. Like even though like I don't necessarily like what he's saying about the Marvel movies, but that's only just because I like the Marvel movies. He's one hundred percent right about what they're doing for cinema. Like no question. Or, or what they're not doing for cinema. That but too. that's neither here nor there. I just think that you got to take all the wins life throws at you where you can get them. Definitely. Whether how big or especially small. In, especially in this year with what with the decade that we're going into. 
So I'm taking this as a small victory. Hell a step, yeah. A step in the right direction to getting one of my favorite franchises, one of my favorite IPs back on track. Seriously, because it's been fucking, it's been, it's been a rough time, you know? And like I said, I'm not even complaining because for the most part, like I said, it's been an even 50-50 split with the, the the Star Wars movies that we've gotten under the Disney reign. You know, I like The Force Awakens and Rogue One. Rogue One, I think we can both agree, is our favorite out of this new batch of Star mm-hmm. Wars, of Disney Star Wars that we've gotten. Last Jedi, inconsistent movie, even though there are still some parts. Solo, that's like the bastard stepchild like Disney didn't even want that movie to be made yeah. they were literally just like oh fuck it we have it we may as well just release it because you know Disney Disney literally you could tell even with the marketing they they didn't want that movie released like it, it was very very apparent but they'd already shelled out the money like I feel like that's the movie that like definitively define that Kathleen Kennedy is not the person to be running the ship I'm sorry but when your entire track record consisting consists of having fired or had a direct problem with almost every single creator that you've gotten involved in this new leg of Star Wars, when, and the only person that you do keep on, that you don't have a problem with, ends up turning out the most critically divisive and problematic Star Wars movie yet, that 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 does not bode well for you as a creative. Now, Kathleen Kennedy, again, the, she does not need to worry at all about um, our input because she's a multi-billion dollar making producer been behind some of the best movies of all time one of the co-founders of amblin entertainment with steven spielberg and frank marshall she doesn't need to worry about jack shit and she never has about any of our opinions and guess what she's gonna cash out get her payday with rise of skywalker when that makes a billion dollars and then she'll be able to ride off into the sunset like indiana jones at the end of last crusade and be like ha ha screw you I still made money. And then Kevin Feige's going to come in and do what he will with Star Wars. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of like ushers in, um, kind of it, the, the one good saving grace though. I will say this. The one saving grace to Kevin Feige producing the Star Wars movie is that if he's the guy through Favreau manages to get Filoni into Kathleen Kennedy's spot, I will be more than happy because again, Filoni is a guy who has proven time and time again that he is the heir apparent for George Lucas with carrying through his vision of Star Wars, not only with two animated TV series, but with arguably two of the best animated TV series that I would say helped define Star Wars much more so than any of the movies we got around this decade. And now with this new show that premiered today on Disney+, Plus, November 12th, 2019, we're going to mark this down for occasion because this is officially the day that the streaming wars have begun. You know, Apple TV has been out for a few weeks now. HBO Max and the Peacock are on their way, but today is officially the day where Netflix needs to start worrying, you know? The good news is, is that it doesn't look like they have to worry too much, considering the fact that when we tried to watch the episode first, the servers were all down, and so it took us a few minutes before they were back up and we could actually watch the freaking episode. And we almost torrented it. Almost. And that gave us problems. A little bit. And it also looks just like fucking Netflix. That too. But again, but we don't good. need to worry but about But I was about that. to say, but, the, but just in terms of that, that's kind of the point because aesthetically they want it to look very much like Netflix because there's a reason why Netflix is right. the, the most palatable and popular of these streaming services. You know, look why Netflix has a very comforting look why. So I, I, I get why they wanted to go for that. And... Uh, we, we, um, yeah, we, mimicry is the, the most sincerest form of flattery. Oh, absolutely. Say. But yeah, so we, so we finally started to watch it. I was a little bit shocked because I thought that this was going to be an hour long, you know, like your 56, 58 average minute length. Yeah. I was very taken this back episode when was we 39 saw 30, minutes. 39 This episode minutes. was 39 minutes and it was the best 39 minutes of Star Wars I've gotten since 2015. Can I also say that I, I watched the Monday Night Football game last night and 
they did like a preview at halftime. Yeah, yeah, they've been doing that a while now because of the whole because it's through because it's through ESPN, which is also Disney owned. So right, right, and and so they were talking it up the whole the whole night. Of course, did so many Disney Plus cut to commercial little tidbits and advertisements by the sportscasters and they gave us pretty much the first like two and a half minutes and i was very worried about coming here and watching it because i hated the opening sequence i thought it was boring and i I was so scared i loved the opening sequence this episode really redeemed itself but i think before we get into talking about the episode what is the mandalorian you're someone who has a little bit more of the background on the lore this isn't boba fett this isn't jango fett which i think a lot of people have been misled to believe correct there was a lot of ambu- ambiguity around like what exactly is this story. So, so would you mind clearing of that course. up? And, and again, this, this also goes back to a little bit of the problems of Rogue One, you know, where we said that, you know, the whole big thing of, of that was going to confuse people going into Rogue One is seeing Felicity Jones, that lead part and being, oh, who's that? That's not Ray, you know, and then getting confused and then having to, and, and, and again, how Disney with their marketing is not always the best when it comes to establishing that different Star Wars properties happen at different points during the timeline, that it isn't always sequential. Again, we can't exactly fault people for that because people have been trained so far to to believe that whatever the next thing is going to be is going to be the next thing in chronological order. So the Mandalorian for long and short of it is you're you're correct. This is not a uh, this is not a Boba Fett. This is not a Jango Fett even though it looks very similar. This is a completely new character. So just so I can fill some people in timeline-wise where this takes place. This film takes place Similar to how Rogue One was right before the events of A New Hope and similar to how Star Wars Rebels ends a little bit before um, Rogue One and similar to how Star Wars Resistance is taking place directly um, before the events of The Force Awakens, this film takes place right after the fall of the Empire and Return of the Jedi in the Outer Rim where it follows a lone bounty hunter who is for right now only called the Mandalorian as we are following him on a, his different bounty hunting missions, I have to assume, as will entail throughout the course of the series. And at least for this first episode, again, it does a very good job of establishing who he is. I think the opening sequence is absolutely masterful in terms of establishing this guy, establishing the world while also like reintroducing us to kind of the world of Star Wars. But more, I would say more so aesthetically, this aesthetically, this probably looks the most like the original Star Wars trilogy. And again, bringing it back to Rogue One, I found out that the reason why that is, is because this cinematography in this series, this series is shot by the same guy who shot Rogue One, Greg Frazier, um, who is an Oscar-nominated cinematographer, got nominated for cinematography the same year that Rogue One came out, but not for Rogue One. It was for a film called Lion, and he's also shooting Denny Villeneuve's next movie, uh, the the Dune remake, that's coming out in November of next year. Okay. And also to provide a little bit of context for those who are unsure of it, so the Mandalorian race actually goes back right that's generation. what i was gonna ask you because the mandalorian right. isn't it's not like a job title no it's, it's not, not like it's not like uh, owned by one specific person right a mandalorian is it's an is alien race it it's is a, a, race, a race but it's more than just being okay. another race within the star wars universe the mandalorians actually have ties that go back to the knights of the old republic because the mandalorians have traditionally been kind of back when it, you had armies of jedi facing armies of sith before darth bane kind of came along and established the rule of two the mandalorians were kind of for lack of a better word the only tertiary factor and that they weren't necessarily a lot back when the force was heavily dictating the actions of the galaxy before it kind of just became like you know like the jedi order and essentially it, like the more primitive times like think of it as like 
how the cavemen sort of acted on instinct, the force was sort of. Am I right in saying that yes, the force was for, sort of like the, the guide yeah. for like, the early And like folk I of said, this, this is again, it's something that I've only heard through happenstance because unfortunately, I have mm-hmm. not gotten into like the deeper Star Wars canon outside of the movies. I'm primarily <laughs> so a movie. I'm primarily a movies and TV shows guy. But uh, from listening to Collider and all the and their deep dives into Star Wars, there have been a little tidbits that I've picked up here and there. And the Mandalorians, to my knowledge, back in the day, were allied with the Sith. When it was the armies of the Sith. But, um, what's it called? There, there was a diverge, and they did end up breaking off. And, um, what's it called? And so they popped up a few more times throughout the course of the series. You know, you saw the Mandalorian race in, um, the Clone Wars with Duchess Satine and her relationship with Obi-Wan. And then you had the rogue group of Death Watch, which was established, which was a bounty hunting group that, well, not a bounty hunting group. It was a rogue paramilitary group that wanted to kind of get Mandalore back to kind of the old ways. Um, the leader of that actually ended up teaming up with Darth Maul and his brother, um, uh, once they made their comeback later on in the show, um, yeah, the leader was Prey Vizsla, who was actually murdered by Darth Maul when he took over Death Watch, and then I believe that after the, uh, fall of, after the Clone Wars, and after the fall of the Jedi Order, and the Empire kind of taken over, the Mandalorians were kind of, um... The, the Mandalorians were kind of broken apart by that, you know, because um, their leader had been killed, their planet was ravaged, taken over by the Empire, and so, and that actually brings it back to Rebels, because I know that one of the main characters in Rebels is also a Mandalorian, Um, the character voiced by Tia Sarkar, I'm totally drawing a blank on her name right now, because again, I haven't watched Rebels, but that's kind of what I know about the, the Mandalorians, but so, to my knowledge is, the whole, for lack of a better word, character motivation, and why that's going to be so important going into this show, is because the whole idea behind the Mandalorians is that they were once this proud like mighty race of like royalty and that have kind of been reduced to kind of you saw it this this backwards squabble you know kind of like living in huts super doing what they can to get primarily bounty hunters to more morally ambiguous routes of making money like being a bounty hunter exactly and it doesn't help that the two most popular members uh of them like i said i don't know the the, fets yeah well yeah and which brings it back to the fets the only problem is like i said going back to boba vett and his establishment in empire strikes back and then finding out about boba's origin in attack of the clones how boba is a clone of Django Fett. The only thing is, I don't know if Django himself, like I said, this is where I have to do some research, I don't remember if Django himself was a Mandalorian, or if he just killed one and took his armor. I don't remember which one of that is, because obviously it's not established very well in Attack of the Clones. Well, that's fine. I mean, I think you've given enough context. We just needed a little backstory. Disney really didn't, at least to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong. Right. They did not. But again, that's fine. Because they didn't give of, us a lot. Right. About because what this I think be one, the of the char- of. one of the good things about the show was that that is something that they are going to be getting going into, not into only with blind, this yeah. individual character, but with the race of the Mandalorians and kind of where they are in this. Um, the sect of Star Wars, because that's one of the things that I've really appreciated that Dave Filoni has done with all of his shows, is that in each of his shows, even though they have still primarily been about the characters that we're familiar with, you know, the Jedi versus the Separatists in Clone Wars, and then with Rebels, you know, the kind of this ragtag group Which of Rebels. Which Clone Wars did he do? The original, like, five No, no that, was Gendy, that was Gendy Tarkovsky, the so creator the of, yeah, so the actual series okay. that is considered okay, canon, the cool. one that ran on Cartoon Network for five seasons, and then got another season on Netflix. Sweet, it's like the, the 20 minute long ones? Yes. Yeah, alright, alright, that's cool. So, I think we have enough context on what 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 this is the source material of so if you feel good about it i feel good about it definitely why don't we jump into the episode yeah cool dom this is your show take the reins definitely so we kicks off on an ice planet that's the problem is i will say that another thing that i don't think disney has done a very good job of chris is establishing what planets and settings they're on ever since this new disney era of star wars because i remember back in the day 
I remember pretty much every single planet that they were on from the original trilogy, and I remember every single planet that they were on in the prequels. It was very clear we it's were going from we were going from Hoth what, to Tatooine yeah. to whatever. I mean, yes, that's Hoth, not the actual Tatooine, order. But you and know even what in I'm the saying. prequels, I remember Utapar very well. I remember Mustafar very well. I remember yeah, Geonosis very well. I remember Camino very well. Like all that stuff. We and knew where say, we were going is the point you're yes, trying to make. And right? I have to say that one of the things that Disney has very much dropped the ball on in this new era of Star Wars is they have not done a good job of stating the names of the planets because the only time literally i think the only reason why i even remember jack who's name is because they stated it 50 million times in the force awakens but i barely remember that um octo is the planet where luke is on in last jedi you know i remember edu right. jetta scarif and obviously yavin from rogue one um mm -hmm. was it called because those were all very memorable and those planet names were all very stated but and Yavin's also from the OG. Yes, obviously. Trilogy. But so the other thing that I, again, they do, they have not done a good job of, especially with these last ones, almost Last Jedi and Solo, is they have not done a good job of establishing the planets that they take place on, with the exception of Kessel in Solo, but again, having to do with the original trilogy. And so yeah. I think that is, again, going to get the nitpicks out of the way, but I think that is something that I wish they'd done a little bit, is I don't think I heard a single planet name in this no, show, so I didn't far. know really where we were going. It, it, right. Granted, it didn't matter that much. I was I was pretty quickly sucked into this definitely. after that like, first opening sequence. It, but I, I mean, I just again, this goes back to what I've said before on the podcast. It's it's this this mass produced filmmaking where things get sloppy and things get left behind. Like I would even settle for with the new Disney Star Wars movies, how they do in Guardians of the Galaxy, where they put those title cards yeah. in the bottom corner. Yeah, I at mean, the very least, that's something to remember, you know? I mean, that's cheap. That's obviously fixing a problem in editing. Definitely. But, but like, let's at least fix the problem. Yes. Let's honestly get back to good filmmaking, but that's a different yeah, tangent definitely. that we don't need to get into right now. I think that just from the filmmaking standpoint, this, this episode And not that this it. wasn't good filmmaking. I'm talking, since Dom opened it up to the Disney Star Wars as a whole, that's sort of where I'm going. Yes. This episode, which I, I kind of want to like get into a little more of like, uh, that's all we really speak about. Obviously, it's hard because it's connected to a yeah, larger. Yeah, because it's connected to so much, and they've all and already and and again, this is just the power of Star Wars. Is that even something that is primarily standalone like this? And I think this does do a very good job of establishing itself as being standalone and not really connected mm -hmm. to anything else, but still embracing right. and in you know and feeling like you're in the Star Wars world. Because I definitely think this does a much better job than a lot of the movies. Yeah, because like you said while we were watching it, this is completely new source material. It's not based off of, it's set in a time that we're familiar with, yes. but it's all new characters, which is something we haven't gotten before in yes, a Star Wars film. I'm very, very happy about. Now, I, I will say that I do recognize what you're saying. Um, it's important to know where you're going in a movie, right? And, yes. and, and especially Setting is important. Especially for fans of Star Wars, there's so much, you know... Uh, ARG and everything around this this film, the video games, people love to get immersed in the world and yes. they love to know the planets. The yeah, planets are of, almost a part, character. Part of the magic of Star Wars is that the world is one of the most immersive cinematic worlds like ever created. So yes, this 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 episode, it was hard to tell where we were going, and I do think that's like a part of a larger problem that Disney has, but. I was able to look past it, were you? Yes. Oh, absolutely. No yeah. question. Because once we actually got into the plot and meat of the story, and this isn't a situation where they like mm -hmm. they wait a little bit, they get you into the action like immediately. And it makes sense. The episode's only 39 minutes long. They have to get you into the action. And I think in terms of getting you in and establishing what it is in this world again, I understand that that's something that you weren't necessarily a fan of, and I completely understand where you're coming from. But for me and what I got out of it, which is where he just, again, it, because again, it established what this show is going to be, which is it's a Western in the Star Wars universe, which 
I am I'm 1,000% cool on board with. Yeah, I mean, 1, like... 1,000% on board with. Like, where he walks into the bar, the again, a bunch of guys are not are knocking this one alien around. He just goes up to the bar. The guys are, you know, the guys are, of course, looking to pick a fight. Where it's like, ooh, nice armor. You know, that thing. The two aliens come up. Uh, what's it called? The bartender tries to settle it. Gets into the fight, knocks the guys out, and then it turns out that the alien that they were bullying was the target of his bounty, you know? And I think in terms of, like, it's so amazing to me how it established it visually. Very little dialogue, really no need to explain anything. It trusted its fans, and in terms of actually being intelligent enough to follow along, and it relied on the imagery and the actual storytelling in order to get you into this world, and I could not give it more credit for that. Yeah, yeah, and I do just want to say that, you know, Honestly, because it's the Outer Rim, I sort of forgive there being a lack of clarity as to like where exactly we are, right. because there's so many planets in the Outer Rim, that's sort of like the running gag of Star Wars, like, oh, he could be anywhere in the Outer Rim. Literally, yeah, so, and the, like, to the point, they, they've made so many references to that in the movies, that the Outer Rim really is this wild, yeah. untamed place, and one of the cool things that I think Which we're I gonna, think works why it's this wild, wild le- wa- absolute, west Absolutely, uh, yeah, uh, and vibe. again, it helps fit in with the vibe of the show, which is, you know, the, the western set in space. And, and, I, I, and, and so I'm not as fired up about like you know the poor planning uh and in progression like from place to place as i am at other disney properties of star wars but i do want to like tap into this you know one thing that i really liked was like you you were saying a bunch while we were watching it it was almost sort of uncontrollable in the best way you just kept blurting out like wow this feels like the original trilogy this it feels does. like the original trilogy again it's everything that i loved about rogue one where out of all the disney movies that we've gotten so far and again because this does feel aesthetically very similar to rogue one again because it's just the same guy that's shooting it rogue one was the movie and you even set this back you can even go back and listen. It's our first ever podcast that we did together three yeah. years ago with our Rogue One episode. Is if that you can find it? Good on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it's just all on my YouTube channel. You just have to look it up. But um, what's it called? Is that this? Is that Rogue One and both this show were the movies and, and obviously that felt the most akin. Uh, aesthetic wise to the original trilogy and this does a very good job of continuing that trend you know kind yeah. of that kind of that really dirty down to earth feeling where the, even though it's clearly in a galaxy far 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 away and these are aliens that we're watching it they feel so human and so fleshed out even if I know nothing about it you know kind of going back to what you were saying about Rogue One about how you loved just how you could get lost in all the little details because of how practical and real it felt you know but I also... felt that way about Force Awakens as well but I felt much more so towards Rogue One and towards this it also had that minimalistic original George Lucas feel where it was sort of like before he was able to go back in and edit on top of it and put yeah. CG but, but, yeah, on top but, but, of yeah. it and, and just add more on top of it like those original VHSs, which I still have, and and grew up watching and have an image almost printed on my brain of. Like the, the minimalism in this in this little episode, this pilot episode of, of uh, the first ever Star Wars series, I hope Live they keep up Star with Wars this. Series. Yeah, like, I hope they keep up with this Me because too. it felt like the old days it felt it really did it wasn't relying on parlor tricks yes and thank god there right? was no shitty disney humor in this not pilot. just shitty disney humor because because again like that again attributing to the shitty humor to disney i i think is probably the only point that i would say is unfair in terms of the star wars criticism because george lucas was putting in shitty kid humor long before disney got their hands on yeah it. but that was original to him as a creator i guess but it's still you, shitty you can, humor you can find the same joke essentially the same joke structure in star wars that you can find in zootopia that you can find in the avengers oh Endgame. agreed and in that sense and i that, i would 100 agree with you yeah the, in, in terms of just, the humor being a little bit too reliant on to some me, of Disney's just, other franchises, I, I'll give you that. That's just disrespectful to the public and the consumer and to all the properties that they've built up and got people to care about so much. But we don't need to get into that. I'm just so glad that this didn't rely on parlor tricks. Yes. It, it, 
it was real sets. It, it, it was the costumes felt like you could reach well, out as, and as, grab as, them as, and touch as them. real as they could. Like I exactly. said, I, I don't know how much of the sets were digital as opposed to obviously being real backdrop. But let me tell you something. I and I got again. It's Disney it felt streaming, warm, so it, it's gonna it's gonna be money. But the visuals in this movie are beyond spectacular. Yeah. Like, oh my the, god. There there was a warmth to it that, and and there was a warmth to it and sort of like a timelessness that I don't get out 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 of Disney at all in in recent recent films like their Avengers and their Star Wars. Those just feel like flash in the pan pop cultures. They'll be remembered in the 2010s, but will they go down as anything? Right. Not in my right. mind. Right, and again, that, but that this goes, feels that like it has a chance to uh, pass, like, you know, almost like, um, what, what do they call it? Uh, hyper jump or... Hyperdrive. Like, uh, hyperspace. Jump to, jump, make the jump to hyperspace. Yeah, it almost feels like it has a chance to make the jump to hyperspace and eclipse just the decade and, and like, the Disney decade, but almost, like, go down as, like, a Star Wars title people will be talking about for years to come. Definitely. For and good it, reasons. Definitely. <laughs> and, and, it's sure. funny, and it's funny that you bring that up because I actually wanted to um, ask you about this again just as a, as a little bit of a tangent, but do you think that because, and again, this is a point that's been brought up a lot, it's because there is so much content now and it is so hard for something, even if it's something like, that's great, to stand out, you know, which is why it's been so easy for Disney to take over everything because Disney has kind of been responsible for all the comfort food and so that's why they've been able to stand out. Not for their quality, obviously, but just for the lack of they're the most popular thing at the time. Do you think that because now we're kind of kind of past the prime years of the MCU and we're past kind of like and you know with Rise of Skywalker and we're going to be moving past you know the really remembered times of like the Disney era of Star Wars do you think that there's a chance that as the show goes on um, what's it called? Not obviously after this year, after, you know, like the, the prime remembrance when everyone is like, yeah, this is amazing. But as it goes on, you know, and as they bring it back for more seasons and as Disney Plus kind of gets a little bit more established and they bring in other shows kind of to this caliber, do you think this show has the chance to get lost in the shuffle with the mass amount of content that we have, you know? Because this is something that a few of my friends online have brought up is that, you know, with all of these new streaming services and with all this crazy new content and with everything being so easily and accessible to consumers, it becomes something much more difficult to stand out. Where you brought out Goodfellas the, on our on their last episode, you know, with Joker and how you bring up all these movies and how they, they really are timeless. But it also what helped them a lot is the fact that they came out at a time when they were really able to stand out ab ab above the rest because the content was not, uh, there was not as much content as there is now. But now, obviously, there's so much content and a lot of it is great stuff that it really, really is difficult for something to really stand above the rest and be timeless, you know? Do you think this show will fall, will fall victim to that? All right, so that's a loaded question. What I can say is that Star Wars will live on for for quite a long time. So I think that even if Disney loses its grasp on the entertainment industry in the decade we're about to approach... Fingers even, crossed that does happen, just to see what will happen. I would like to shake it up too, but even if that does happen... Star Wars will always have a home in the hearts of millions of people. It's a global phenomenon. It's one of those IPs that you could put out solo and it would still make more money than than most indie films that have been 600 written. million, which again exactly. is disastrous by Star Wars terms, but yeah. So I think that even if this doesn't go down in, in cinematic history or even if this doesn't inspire a new generation of Star Wars fans, it's still a part of an IP that has intrigue, and I think will always, at this point, it solidified itself as one of the major players in, in the film and now television world. And and so I, I think that it's hard to say like if this, if this will go on to have a legacy. We only saw the first episode. I think it certainly gave itself legs, and it has room to run and grow, and I think that's great because... What I've been getting from Star Wars lately has not been what I've wanted, and I've I've been actually able to now that it's been a little while since we've gotten a movie in theaters, go back with fresh eyes, watch all those films before they were taken off of Netflix, and and really 
detach myself from my childhood and and how I use Star Wars as sort of comfort food, like we've spoken about. Certain people watch certain shows for comfort food. And still, it's just lackluster. It's not what I want from a Star Wars title because I have high expectations. But I think a lot of people go back to Star Wars for comfort food. More people, I think, will go to Star Wars for comfort food than will ever give like Stranger Things a chance. And that's crazy because Stranger Things is massive right now, too. But Star Wars is just at such a next level of an IP. Like Stranger Things is still trying to find its footing as a legacy, like a legendary show. It's certainly doing well for itself. But Star Wars has been there since like the 70s. And it's 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 hard to like knock off like a winning team. Look at Tom Brady; he's he's on track to go to his third Super Bowl. It's it's hard to knock you off when you're I on the Tom top. Tom Brady left the Patriots. He's still playing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so this just shows how how much I pay attention to sports. Oh, uh, that, that's fine. That's fine. So so what I think is that even if this tanks the Star Wars series, like if if this tanks as a Star Wars series, which I don't see it doing right now, is a great pilot. I'm I'm not worried about Star Wars. Star Wars Star Wars will always be around. People will always want to write fan fiction. People will always want to contribute to the Star Wars lore because it's just George Lucas did such a good job coming up with this and allowing other people to collaborate with him. Uh, what I do want to say Except is for the prequels. Um, I mean, I actually really like the prequels. I know you do. They're but they're, they're fine films. Yeah. I mean, I, I I was rewatching some scenes from Revenge of the Sith last night, and I have. Some interesting thoughts. Like I said, Revenge of the Sith is still unequivocally the best of the prequels, but I have I, I have some thoughts on that. Tune into my letterbox later. This is not at all a shameless plug to see my thoughts on the prequels. So yeah, like that was a great question, I think. I'm not worried about Star Wars. I thought this was a great pilot, and I think that whether or not Star Wars is, is in control by Disney... Or, or not, you know, we'll see how, how it goes. I think Star Wars is going to be just fine. It's going to, it might suffer a little bit, but Star Wars has the ability to bounce back better yeah, than was, any other property. I was about to say, I think, I think we could both agree it's already suffered. But yeah, you're definitely right, is that even with all the mass amount of content and the mass amount of IP and just content overall that we have and how easy it is to, to, to get lost in the shuffle, we talk about all the time how, yeah, it's a great time to be a creator because there's so many different avenues that were not accessible before, but it's so much harder to stand out and be recognized because you could work on a 15 different projects and you'll be lucky if maybe one of them gets picked up and does get to yeah. the level of a stranger thing but you're right star wars has always been that brand that definitely because of its ties and its legacy will never i think fall into that trap so i am happy to say that i guess just my worry is that this does so well right and then it gets to season two and then obi-wan comes out and then they do three more shows like that and the next thing you know it just this this just falls down the hole of just oh the the, the streaming star wars you know and it kind of just all becomes part of that and i and this isn't the type of show that i want that to happen because i thought this show left such an impact just with its first episode alone that I don't want that to happen you know part of what ma has made Star Wars so special is because um we've oh we've always gotten it like spaced out you know it was three movies three years apart back in the 70s and 80s and even with the prequels when we had more you know when we had more stuff overall with you know with the digital boom and with the special releases we still had only those three movies three years apart and then we had Clone Wars and now we've had four Disney movies and now and we've had Rebels and all these video games you know it's, it's like all this different content and, yeah. I, and I kind of I don't want this to get lost in the shuffle because this is probably because this quality wise is for me the best Star Wars that we've gotten probably since the original trilogy like I said Rogue One comes close but I'll even still admit that Rogue One does have Problems, even though it's still my favorite of this but this to me is the best and purest form of Star Wars if we're just talking about the tone of Star Wars since the original trilogy and I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle I agree and and one thing that I realized I kind of learned as a viewer of of this episode I, I realized that I think not that I go back on what I say about the new trilogy and and solo being 
not not good films borderline terrible but i think like when i was younger like seeing someone frozen in in carbon like that carbonite yeah yeah carbonite that that was so unique and cool because i i just like I didn't have a lot more Star Wars, so I thought that was unique to Han Solo, and and I thought the blue milk was unique to Luke, and and so now that we're getting so much more Star Wars, I think you're losing some of what made the first film special because you're you're seeing that like oh yeah like other bounty hunters do that too, other people drink blue milk. It's becoming more of like um, it's becoming more of a reality than like uh, a distant far off galaxy. It definitely takes away from I feel like kind of the magic of what made those films so special, but. Keeping that in mind, I also think that that's what helps kind of be um, help anchors the original trilogy as great films. Because even if you're taking out all those little extra elements that you thought made them great, just looking back and just watching them, it's just like great pieces of cinema. I think right. we can agree and that the, the writing, original trilogy the still stands out as like one of the best of all time. And I'll even admit it's not my favorite. Tri- like just in terms of film trilogies, it's not one of my favorites. But just in terms right. of like, but what I was what gonna say did, is, you know, so. You have to learn to get okay, be okay with that because whether we like it or not, we're going to get more Star Wars. And so more of these fantastical things that we grew up loving and thinking were so unique, we're going to see other characters do because it's sort of like how everyone we know like pays bills and like works works a job and and you know like there's there's more than one celebrity. We're we're learning that like all these people live in the games the same galaxy. So we're going to have to get used to that, but I think that we haven't had that X factor from the the new trilogy, and what we got at the end of this this episode, that big reveal, that was the X factor that said, okay, so maybe you've gotten used to seeing people frozen in carbonite, and maybe you've gotten used to blue milk and droids and blaster fire, and maybe that's not as exciting as it was when it first came out because how can it be? How can I don't, it? I don't be? know. That, that last fight was, which was just like straight up blast fight, was was pretty pretty awesome. That was yeah, awesome. No, I, it I felt very western, but that. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. And and so. What we were missing, I think, from this new trilogy was that, like, how do we push the envelope further? And in one episode... Literally one episode. One episode, we pushed in 39 minutes. 39 minutes. In my opinion, and this is just with my no opinion. With no commercials. We, with no commercials, we pushed it further than any of the films we've gotten from Disney so far have. Absolutely. One and that, thousand percent. That is why... I'm not worried about the future yes. of Star Wars. If it ends up becoming a television universe, we have a, it has legs to go off of. Definitely. And I think, like, you know what? Spoiler alert. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Dom, how did the reveal make you feel? Fucking stoked, dude. Fucking stoked. So, kind of to give context for context, the episode ends, um, what's it called? Um, so, so plot wise, just to go through the rest of the episode. So after the opening scene where you which is kind of just establishes who the Mandalorian is capturing his one bounty hunter. He meets up with Carl Urban, who's kind of his boss. And I think it was the, um, like the bounty hunters guild, which is basically like the guild that all the bounty hunters are a part of, you know, after the fall of the empire. Again, it's a very lawless time. The, uh, the new Republic or whatever it was called in the force awakens hasn't really had time to get established yet. Um, so he takes this one job. which again, it's, it's so ludicrous and so crazy that nobody else is willing to take it. You know, he flies off. He meets Werner Herzog, who is um, a it looks like a retired Imperial specialist. Um, you know, he goes into a room. He ends up actually, um, you know, seeing a bunch of former stormtroopers. And what I really liked about that scene was it was like sort of like your classic show don't tell, which you don't really get from these like bullshit Disney force spoon feed you every detail. The stormtrooper uniform, and this was obvious, but like the effort was there for the first time in a Disney movie to do something fucking cinematic where it's like, oh, okay. On a okay. TV show. Did Again, you see continue, those... continuing the trend of TV shows being more cinematic than movies, but... Did you see... 
how dirty yes. and and beaten yes. down and I the stormtrooper uniform was. It was I almost like they that. went. It was almost like a rogue sect of the military yes. where they branched off and Absolutely. followed their general. And even and I love that because that was the detail that like okay they were they were alluding to it and they never quite said it. But in that moment, you were like okay. Cool. We're, we're this is filmmaking. Yeah, it's not the highest level of filmmaking. Uh, I could. I think this is like a, a, like on par with a lot of the great filmmaking. But I love the scene. But we're seeing effort, which is what I want. And, and yes. I'm not. I, I feel like I'm discrediting it. It's just that I expect a lot from Star Wars. So when I say not the highest level of filmmaking, I think George Lucas really did something legendary with that original trilogy. So I don't want to discredit it. It was brilliant. You're right. Yes. I don't want to come off as like this like negative Nancy. But I just haven't seen that since 2015 when we've... I haven't seen something that tr- that tried like that. So please go back to what you're saying. I just don't want to let him know that. Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. want him to you're, think you're I'm like good. this negative Nancy. You know, yeah. I just expect a lot. I know. It's fucking yeah. Star Wars, yeah. man. No, but, Ver- no, but the, the, the thing that I love about the scene with Werner Herzog, besides the fact that it's Werner Herzog in a fucking episode of Star Wars, which is unbelievably amazing, mm-hmm. um, is the scene is that even for like the typical scene where it's like, you know, going to meet with the guy who's there to tell him the mission, you know, the, the writing of the scene is so well done because it says so much and so little all at the same time like it's good writing and filmmaking and again just to start off with how when Omid Abtabi walks in and there's and and, and the Mandalorian like pulls out his guns and it, on the four stormtroopers like I don't know why but there was something fucking cool about seeing like a Mandalorian square off with stormtroopers you know especially for when the longest time I didn't know the difference between them like no joke when I was a little kid watching the prequels I did not know the difference between Boba Fett and the stormtroopers I thought that they were the exact same thing and I never understood the difference until now so kind of just seeing that I feel like was just appealing to me as a Star Wars fan, you know, because I think I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit different of a Star Wars fan because the whole thing is I grew up with the prequels. Phantom Menace is the first movie I ever saw, and I watched, um, what's it called? Interesting. You know, it, it was kind of like intro sports. I think the order went, it was like, um, I watched Phantom Menace, and then I watched a little bit of New Hope on TV, then, um, what's it called? Then I watched the originals, I watched New Hope, uh, Return of the Jedi, and then Empire Last, which I think is one of the reasons why it took me so long to get on board with Empire. Then I watched Attack of the Clones, then I watched Revenge of the Sith. I remember it was that Christmas of 2005 when it came out because I was I, I my parents never took me to watch a Star Wars movie in theaters mm-hmm. so yeah that moment was just how the mighty have fallen yeah, it, it was great and, and in terms of like establishing subtly without having to directly tell you that this is where the Empire is you know like yeah you had in the conversation with Carl Weathers talking about you know th- how things have been since the Empire fell but again just it, it, it's it's things that are helping to show and reinforce that not tell so he goes to the planet where where the quarry is um what's it called where Werner Herzog tells him to go which it was the, the thing is that this target that the Mandalorian is after is so risque. He doesn't have a tracking pod, so he doesn't know what his target looks like. He barely has any information on it, and the only thing that they know about his loca- about the target's location is that it's um it's clearly very precious to the Empire for obvious reasons that will be revealed once the reveal at the end of what the target is. And um, what's it called? And the point be that it's it, it, they have to keep things on the down low for obvious reasons once they get to the end. Well, so, well it's one of those things that you, you just don't want this information getting out even to the person you hire to, to do the job. Right, and again, how that so... factors into the story is that, it, it, again, it's keeping things revealed. So it keeps that sense of mystery. So it keeps that sense of underlying tension, that ticking clock that we talked about that you felt was so lacking from El Camino that should be in every good yeah. story because it's that sense of tension and conflict that makes for the best stories. So, it's the motivation. So it's the he motivation. Fl- so he flies to the planet. He meets up with Nick Nolte's character, which was a breath of fresh air. Because I didn't realize Nick Nolte was going to be playing an alien, but for the character that Nick Nolte is playing, I love it. I think that's a perfect part. And what I also like about that planet, too, is you also get into a little bit more of the humanity of the character. Is that the character up until that point has been established as this no 
no-nonsense badass, which is great. But in that section, what I love is that it kind of gets into this section, kind of, again, my problems with the prequels and your problem with the Disney trilogy is that you get into that, you know, that, that humor... And, you know, the, the, the more humanistic side without having to, like, make a poop joke or make a fucking Marvel joke, you know? And it's just, like, you know, the scene where he's, like, trying yeah. to ride the alien and, you know, and, the thi- and you know, the Nick Nolte's alien character is, like, saying, you know, you're a Mandalorian, you could do all this, kind of alluding to the might of the Mandalorians. And that kind of, again, I love that. I love that because those are the right. moments that make Star Wars for me. I didn't feel like Disney was holding my hand through watching their, their, their title, their show, whatever, for the first time ever. It felt, yeah. like, cool. Hey, we made some art. Sit back and enjoy some art. Yeah, this yeah, this is this is the world you and know? these are the characters. And I love about it is because so much of this was just characters going through the motions. And the problem is that people have confused that for thinking, "Oh, that's boring because that's just what regular people do." But the thing is is that because but when it's written well, when you have good writing and you have creators that are passionate and know what the fuck they're doing, going through the motions could seem like the most exciting thing ever because that's character building, that's world building. It's essential tactics to good stories and good movies and good books and good TV shows, you know? Like and again, many it's one of the problems Thrones, that I've had with so many of the movies we've gotten over the last couple of years is it feels like all the exposition, if it even if it's not told to us, it's dumped on us within the first 10 minutes and it goes by so quickly that I barely have any time to know who the characters are before we're just whisked away into the story. And it really sucks because that takes away from a lot of the movies because so much of what I love about movies comes from those first 20 minutes, that first hour of just world building and getting to know these people in these places right and there was no reason to rewind to catch a detail in this the only reason we rewind we 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 rewound yes. was because we just wanted to we see wanted an to. amazing to sequence see, like, again where he's because going we, and he kind of like meets up with like that underground sect of mandalorians yeah. you know and it would kind of to melt down the, uh, the 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 piece that he thought was valuable in order to get added to his armor piece like that was the said so much without actually saying anything about that yeah we we got a lot about this character and he gave us a lot yes by actions with he barely spoke which was amazing now we are faced he is faced but we as the audience are are faced to watch him deal with a very big moral conundrum at the end this reveal we've been building up to which we've been building up to so he gets to so after nick nolte guides him to the place where the quarry is being kept because nick nolte knows where it is nick nolte i think actually brings up a very good point in that um, what's it called? Everyone who comes here looking for peace, and there won't be peace until this quarry is removed from it. You know. So he goes, and I, what I liked is they they brought in Taika Waititi's droid in the first episode. I didn't realize that they were going to bring him in in the first episode, and I'm so beyond glad. Don't get me wrong, I love Taika. I just watched his new film Jojo Rabbit. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. But I am beyond excited that they didn't make Taika into the fucking joke character. They kept him straight. Like you recognize him because you know his voice because Taika's become enough of a personality at this point, and you recognize his voice once the droid comes in and you see him. But kind of that little badass teaming up movement where it's like you know hey we're bounty hunters and we you know we're after the same target but we can still team up you know again kind of getting back to like that old school star wars feel and how they have to kind of team up and take out all the guys they even bring in a gatling gun which i never thought the idea of seeing a gatling gun and a gatling laser gun in star wars would be as badass as it was but it was and they get in and they find their target and what is it a fucking baby yoda a baby Yoda. Yeah, we don't know the exact name of the species. Yeah, but- I have no idea the name of the species, but the reason why this is so revered is because obviously besides the fact of Yoda being one of the few Jedi to survive Order 66, being the most powerful Jedi that for the long time the Empire was after. But, but if you other- know Star Wars, Right, you if know. you know Star Wars, besides the fact of knowing when this takes place, taking place after Return of the Jedi, where Yoda has been dead now, where Yoda has just previously died, but it's also the fact that I'm pretty sure that Yoda was the last of his race. 
You know, obviously, like I said, because the whole thing about Yoda's race say. is... He's the last of his kind, and they yeah. are the most Force-sensitive yes, race. Yes, the most Force-sensitive, capable of living for extremely long time. Yoda was, what, like 9,000 years old by the Nine, time he died? 900. Or something like? 900. 900, yeah. And as go. you all know, the Force can restore balance to the galaxy, and we clearly are thrust into a very orderless time. Not to mention the fact that it's a moral that it creates an amazing moral conundrum for the character, because of taking out all of that, um, he literally shoots the droid before the droid can kill it, because it's a fucking baby. It's like, as, as pissed off and as shitty as this world is, again, it's what I love is, again, establishing old-school filmmaking. You know, you always get the, the badass with the heart of gold. You know, he's not whatever. Yeah, whatever yeah, whatever yeah. moral conundrums, whatever shitty things he's had to do, he is not going to kill a baby. That's well, not him. He was also an orphan. Right. So he they, they allude to that. And he even donates some of his credits to... He, he, there's some leftover credits when he gets that armor plate. And whoever was forging that, the other Mandalorian, says... Yeah. This will help a bunch of, I forget the exact terminology they called it, but we'll just say orphans. But they yes. had the Star Wars. Of course, there's always a Star Wars of term course. for every real world uh, equivalent. Of course. And so you're kind of seeing that, like, yes, he's doing what he has to do to get by. And, and sometimes it's it's pretty horrific things, freezing people in carbonite, Obviously. straight up murder. Exactly. And again, establishing but there is a, a soul. Ass, but there is yeah. a heart. And, yeah. and, and so now how will this character play it, right? Are, are the credits he's going to outweigh the life that he yes. has not now Not to mention the hands. fact of who knows what this is, what kind of shit this is going to put him in with not only the other bounty hunting girls, but with whatever's left of the Empire, because we also know there were two major members of the cast. A majority of the cast has been introduced in this one episode alone, but there's still a few other cast members that have yet to be introduced, because even though Werner Herzog is kind of an uh, Empire outcast, there are still a few tangents of the Empire that are left. Obviously, these are the tangents that'll get back together and reform the First Order come the, this new Disney era of Star Wars, but we have yeah. yet to see Giancarlo Esposito's character, Gus from Breaking Bad. He's going to be in this show, and they said that unlike Werner Herzog, he is playing a very high-ranking Imperial official, so who knows where this will bring him into conflict with him. Of course, there's an Imperial presence. Yeah, they have yet to I bring like in Gina Carano's character. Um, what's it called? Also, three other actors that they have yet to bring in. Bill Burr, Mark Boone Jr., and Ming-Na Wen also have yet to be introduced, which I'm very much looking for. Just seeing Bill Burr, the comedian, the comedian Ooh, in a Star nervous. Wars show. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait that because Bill Burr, I think, is, I, I think, is, I think has yet to prove that he is an, that he has, like a really meaty role. But I definitely think that like with, with the vibe and the tone of the show is set up, I definitely could see this something that Bill Burr fits right into. You know, that Mark Boone nervous, Jr., but... Bobby from Sons of Anarchy. We have yet to see him in this, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing where so, this goes. So yeah, we we have this character who who now has a choice to make, you know, and 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 I do actually now appreciate the lack of information. No, we I, had. Would, I wouldn't say choice to make. He made it, like because the droid was gonna kill that baby, and he, and he shot I'm, the droid in the head. Uh, I, I'm not fully sold. I mean, he he certainly put us in one direction but if this is anything like the filmmaking i'm hoping it's going to be it's not just going to be a clear black and white okay right. so he is a good guy right I'm, I'm hoping that there is some moral ambiguity that maybe he gets an offer that he almost can't refuse because you know that that is a, there's a high price on that 50 year old baby's head most definitely so so let's 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 talk a little bit more so wait, about because well, i missed that they did say that the baby was 50 years old 50 years old Holy and shit and and uh they they said like uh they they had their conversation. Uh, the old old gray guy. What was right. his name? Uh, what's it called? The the, um, the bald guy. The imperial. Oh, Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know any of their characters' names yet. So yeah. the, besides with the Mandalorian and the actors, so I'll just yeah. Werner right now use their actor names. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, so you know, I I do want to jump into sort of like the filmmaking yes. of this of this movie. You know, you, you had your <laughs> you classic, called it a movie. There you go. Again, well, it felt like a movie. It felt like a movie. You had your classic Star Wars speeder shot. Yes. Um, but of course it was over the snowy landscape in yes. the beginning, which I loved and and I just And loved. how that like seemed to be like a direct callback to the speeder scene from New Hope yeah, without exactly. actually feeling like a rip. Of course off. It, of course it was. It was just beautiful and and I just, you know, 
the costume designs. Yeah. The, the makeup, the prosthetics. Oh, man. Again, it's everything JJ everything said he was, was. going to do with Force Awakens. And for the most part, he did hold to the Raptors being the one exception. But... And, and I do like how small scale it all was, right? Like, every environment was, was close quarters, which I think added a level of intensity and also shows that, like, this is just a small story happening in yeah. a very large universe, yeah. which... And the filmmaker reflects that because the fact, the fact of the matter is, is that even though, yes, it's Disney and they have money and everything feels very huge, you can still tell that, like, yeah, this is a television-esque set with, obviously, much better television effects, but, like, like the scene of the ship landing on the desert planet, that kind of reminded me of something that, like, I would see in Firefly, and that's not a bad thing at all. Like, at all, because obviously the effects now, 2019 versus 2002, Disney Plus streaming versus network TV are very, very different. But, like, I don't know, there was something about that kind of aesthetic and vibe that I really, really appreciated seeing. Is that yeah. even with that kind of aesthetic and vibe and storytelling techniques, it can still feel cinematic. Exactly. It felt very cinematic. And I also just appreciated how it was so small scale because this is a big universe yeah. and there's a lot of characters that people love in this universe and they're all living in it at the same time. And for the most part, we, we haven't seen any of them. Like, obviously there's references to the things we know, but this, again, this is what I love. It's again, the thing that I thought was going to, again, Corey Coleman has made so many jokes on Double Toasted about this, about the fact that Star Wars is supposed to be this universe, but it feels like the hood because we keep going and seeing these same characters over and over again and it makes the right. galaxy feel smaller. But now we're finally getting into this area where we have a show now. What I'm with, trying to say is it made it feel big yes. because of how small it was. And yes. that's what you want. You want that escapism, which I don't think I've really gotten from the Disney films. I mean, they just felt like, you know, let's, let's take a glorified action film script and skin it in Star Wars, but it's... Not just a glorified action script, like the literal same scripts that we've seen from Star Wars over yeah, and over again. Like, yeah, say what so, you will about Last Jedi and how original and new it was. For the most part, plot-wise, it was Empire meets Return of the Jedi. It was, for the most part, Empire plus um, plus the throne room scene from Return of the, from Return of the Jedi. But and yeah, so I, I just appreciated what I think it does for Star Wars fandom as a whole, which is it really makes you feel like you're, you're just a fly on the wall in an outer rim world where you like I, I like to think about this type of shit right like I grew up playing all the Star Wars video games reading many Star Wars books you know watching all the movies over and over and over again looking for all the details finding out who those background characters were because they're all so important yes which the new Disney trilogy does not make me feel but this makes me wonder ooh will he come back was that Greedo frozen in carbonite yeah. it probably wasn't but you know what I'm yeah. saying like just the fact that I'm thinking that again makes me really feel like I'm just immersed into this giant universe whereas looking through the scope of Rey feels so narrow it, and so small and I don't want that from Star Wars it reawakened your Am I love sense? And absolutely yeah. it reawakened okay. your love and feeling of the grandiose nature of Star Wars which is something that for the most part the Disney films have not done which again going back to Corey Coleman's statements it's again we're Disney is so their only focus with this new trilogy has been nostalgia and I don't and I here's the thing from a business standpoint I can't blame them for that because it's made them billions of dollars even if it has creatively bankrupt them but yeah. with this new show Oh man, I'm getting all sorts of cre creative vibes that I that I that I never really realized I was missing because I have for the most part again, it's 50/50 split where I enjoyed Force Awakens and Rogue One, didn't like Last Jedi or Solo very much, but yeah, this is, for the most part, giving me that feeling of Star Wars that, again, is a feeling that I really haven't gotten since the original trilogy. And again, it's different because I'm a little bit of a different fan because I came in late to the game, you know, where I was a prequels kid. You know, I watched the prequels over and over and over again, and I kind of only watched the original trilogy because it kind of went along with the prequels. That's and fine. Then, and Can't blame me, you for the generation I, you're from. But for me... 
I really got into the original trilogy once I got into college. And that was when I really started to realize not only what the original trilogy meant to the generation that it had inspired and came out during, but just what it meant for the world of films and for the world of filmmaking itself and what that had done. So, um, yeah, in that sense, I absolutely um, love this show. It is absolutely one of the best for TV for streaming, just for media content that we've gotten from the year of 2019, and man, never in a million years did I think that uh, that I that there would be a more badass creative team than Filoni and Favreau. But holy shit, they right. have done it. They and, have and so, goddamn done it. So in conclusion, right? Because I feel like we're both at that point. Yes. The last thing it gave me as a lifer for Star Wars, a diehard Star Wars fan, was it gave me hope. Yeah. Again, for the first time in a long time, and yes, that's corny, and yes, I was waiting to but use again, that. But again, that's what Star Wars has always been episode. about, going back to Leia's original like message to Luke in A New Hope. And this feels like what Star Wars has always been about. Now, Dom, we got to thank everyone for watching Hell yeah. for Absolutely. the first time and for listening. And let's tell them all that we have on the horizon, because we just planned a lot for, for sure. you. For sure, we got a first lot off, of stuff on the horizon. We're, we're not going to talk about The Mandalorian every week. What we're going to do... Dom's going to tell you. Yes. So what we're going to do is we are going to hit the Mandalorian. Um, what's it called? If I'm not mistaken, we're going to hit the finale when it comes out. Mm-hmm. We're and going to th- talk about it all. So yes. that might be a little bit of a longer yeah, but chat. We, we've got, yeah, even though there's only about a month and a half left in 2019, we got we got a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about. The day about. after the Mandalorian talk- airs at noon that Saturday, our review of the entire series will be up. Most definitely. So, so thank you guys for listening to this chat. And Dom. What else do we have on the horizon for we them? Because we are putting an episode out a week for a very long time. We are going to put an episode out a week is the goal. We have got some Oscar movies coming out. We're going to do A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood next week. And then we've got The Irishman. We've got some Oscar movies that we're going to talk about. We've got the Oscars overall in general. We've got A24. We've got some fun Christmas episodes. We've got a lot of TV that we want to cover because there's a lot of TV shows that have both debuted and are going to end this year. We have Watchmen, the new Watchmen show on HBO that we still have to talk about. We're going to be covering the final seasons for Silicon Valley and Mr. Robot, which are unfortunately coming to an end this year. In January, when we come back, we're going to be covering the end of Mr. Robot. That and much, much more that we have on the horizon. Can I just declare that every Saturday... At noon, there will be a new episode up for them. Absolutely, I, I believe that is what we came up with. And in then our can I? Meeting. And then can I allude to the fact that we'll be sprinkling in bonus episodes because there's just a lot that we're so for excited. Sure. There's for. so much content. There is too much content to be covered in an episode a week, and so we will be throwing in some bonus content episodes. We will be getting that out to you when we have that release date. Those will be sort yeah. of here and there. But we'll still yeah, be we, trying we to had to take a break. We had to take a break. We, we we had to figure some stuff out, but we're back and we're ready to take this to the next level. Not only for the for the end of this year and the end of this decade, but for the whole new decade to come. And um, let them know where they can find us on the social medias because we're going to be posting a lot. Most definitely. Follow. Go to our page on Facebook, Talking TV Podcast on Instagram. Follow at Talking TV Podcast for where you can actually find the episodes. You can find them on Anchor, Talking TV. You can find them on Spotify, Talking TV. All of the above. Any place that you go to listen to podcasts. Pocket Cast, Breaker, Audible, all those great places we are. So, you know, in conclusion, I think Dom usually has has some way he likes Most to get definitely, out of But here also, with. I wanted to know what your star rating is because we didn't hit the star rating. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that. How do they do this for TV? You know, I'm still a little bit of a rookie. You I are the guess, movie nerd. But for I'm the just most part, I would say that for individual episodes, it's just, again, like just rank the, rank the product. You know, like I said, if we cover an individual episode, rank it that way. If we cover a whole season, you know, rate it that way. You know, that's kind of just where I go based off. They're really, again, with this whole thing of reviewing in stars, there really isn't one dead set way to do it. You know? Then I'm going to do something weird. My heart says a straight five but 
my critical eye and my knowledge of filmmaking says a 4.7 because you can always do better. I still go four and a half only because, again, I'm still not of the opinion that anything is perfect, but this comes close to it. This is, mm-hmm. um, is this the highest rating that I've given a movie since? Oh, I, I think the only other high rating that I've given is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You've hit a 4.5 before. Okay. Yeah, you've hit that before. Yeah. I, I'm almost positive. And I if thought. I'm wrong, let us know in the comments. Most definitely. On Instagram and Facebook. So, this episode will be up <laughs> on Saturday. And guys, as always, watch more movies. And in this case, TV on Talk TV.